Hi guys, this is Lou Blazer, your host. If you are a new listener to the show, welcome. I am so glad that you found it and I hope that you'll make us a part of your regular routine. And if you are a returning listener, oh my goodness, thank you so much. You have probably noticed by now that I have been uh, starting the show by asking for reviews of the podcast on iTunes. There is a reason for that. Reviews and ratings is the number one way to spread the word about the podcast. Your feedback puts this podcast in front of other career professionals who, like you, want to build resilient and thriving careers. And I would so appreciate it if you would pitch in. Please leave me your feedback. Help me reach other people who could benefit the most from what we cover on the show. If you are not sure how to do it, go to secondbreaks.com forward slash review and that link will give you the step by step. Change careers, break into new industries, transition into new roles, reinvent yourself and make the dent you want. This is the Second Breaks podcast. And now here's your host and fellow second breaker, Lou Blazer. Hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is episode 48 of the Second Breaks podcast, and it is Monday, April 30th, 2018, as I record this episode. Now, self-awareness is an important factor in understanding our unique edge, and our unique edge is that special combination of strengths, of skills, experiences, and point of view that makes us most marketable in today's economy. But... The thing is, it's not always easy for us to pinpoint exactly what makes us us, right? Because we're too close to it, too into the weeds, that it's often easier for other people to point those things out to us. Another way for increasing our self-awareness is by taking self-assessments that help us discover and understand different parts of ourselves so we can figure out how to use those parts of ourselves to our advantage. And today, we're digging into one of the more popular assessments out there, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, or MBTI for short. Now, there's a very good chance that you have already taken this assessment before because it's very popular, like I said. And that you already know your four-letter type indicator by heart. So, for example, I am an INTJ. Or you may have taken it once, maybe for fun, and had forgotten all about it. (laughs) Now, after today's episode, you may be inclined to dig up that old assessment, my friend. Or maybe even do a fresh, you know, take a fresh assessment. We are talking about what the MBTI assessment is all about and what it's not. We're also talking about how using the MBTI framework can improve team dynamics at work or even in our you know, personal lives, in fact. Um, and in fact, understanding the MBTI framework for our teams, for the people that we work with, can really tap into the true power of your team. And lastly, we're also taking a general look at what corporate America tends to prefer in terms of types and how our preferences tend to show up at different parts of our career journeys. Now, I'm not an expert. I happen to know quite a bit about it, but I'm not an expert at all. So I am joined today by Alethea Fitzpatrick, a certified MBTI practitioner. And one of the reasons that I'm really excited about today's show is that this 
today. This marks the first time that we have a repeat guest here on the Second Ranks podcast. Alethea joined me way back in episode 10, wherein she shared her career pivot story, which started when she became a new mom. In that episode, she talked about the factors that led to her decision to leave her career in architecture and start a photography business. She also talked about how she prepared for the transition and how her constraints allowed her to be more productive and creative in her career choices. It's definitely worth a listen, but her pivot story did not end there. Yeah, so my sort of pivot slash transition has really continued. You know, I I did complete my women's leadership training with the Gaia Project for Women's Leadership. And then actually, um, my husband went on a leadership training uh, program with his company, and he did the Myers-Briggs, and he did the more detailed step two assessment. And he basically came back and he was like, Lethe, I think you should become uh, an MBTI certified practitioner, and you can do so on this date in, in New York. And, and I looked at it and I have long had an interest in Myers-Briggs. I found it very helpful. And so I, I, I was like, okay, let me, let me do it. The training was really incredible. And I really gained so much insight. There's so much depth to Myers-Briggs that I actually wasn't familiar with before I did the training that um, I've just been sort of geeking out about it ever since. And it, to me, it is a really incredible tool for women's leadership and for leadership development and team development in general. You're listening to the Second Breaks Podcast, a weekly show that explores all the ways we can make a move and thrive in today's fast-changing world. This podcast is brought to you by Second Breaks, a career education company that teaches professionals how to build resilient careers in this new economy. Visit secondbreaks.com to learn more about how we can support your goals. The show notes for today's episode can be found at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 48. You'll also find there the link to a free webinar that I hosted a few days ago called How to Build a Resilient Career in Rapidly Changing Times. You can catch the replay if you didn't see the live version of it. You'll find the link to the replay in the show notes for today's episode. Again, secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 48. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. first thing that we need to do is understand a little bit about what MBTI really is, uh, you know, come up with some definitions and some frame of reference before we dig into this topic. Yeah, so Myers-Briggs is actually, it's a personality assessment and it's a framework that was developed, developed by Myers and Briggs, who are a mother and daughter team. Um, based, it's based on Jungian philosophy and they actually started working on this in the early 1940s. So a couple of the sort of motivators for them, one is that um, Isabel Briggs and her husband actually had very different personality types. And so her mother was particularly interested in helping them kind of understand each other and the differences and reconcile <laughs> with their differences. So I think that's, that's kind of like a funny, uh, uh, like behind the scenes tidbit about it. Um, but the other really interesting thing to me or really cool aspect to it, I think, is, you know, this was during World War II. Um, and in the U.S., um, you know, the men were going off to war. And this was kind of the first time that women were really entering the workforce in a major way. And so part of the motivation for Myers-Briggs was to create an assessment that would help women quickly figure out not just what career they would be good at, but also where what career that they would find satisfying. Um, and so this assessment tool was developed to 
um, to help women and obviously not just women, but that was that was kind of one of the motivators, but to help people um, better understand themselves so that they could find uh, a good career, a good fit, you know, and that's helpful, right? No matter what stage of your career that you at. So it's not just about deciding what career to pursue at the beginning, but to me, it's a really helpful tool for understanding not just what you're good at, but what naturally energizes you. So this is an important thing to understand about Myers-Briggs is not a, um, it's not about behavior or skill or talent or ability. It's really about what your innate natural preferences are. Your natural preferences are what naturally energize you. So Myers-Briggs actually uses as a very kind of sort of silly, but very uh, example is like your right hand or your left hand, right? So whichever hand, you know, your dominant hand that you, you know, if I say pick up a pen and write and, you know, sign your name using your dominant hand, that's really easy and it doesn't take up much energy. Whereas if you have to use your other hand, it's going to take more energy. It's like you may be able to do it. You know, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't mean you don't use both your hands, but your non-dominant hand, it's going to take a lot more energy to achieve the same thing. And so that kind of is what Myers-Briggs uses as a um, sort of an analogy for what what it means to be in your natural preference rather than, uh, you know, rather than the outer preference. And, you know, high-functioning people often are actually really good at flex, what we call flexing. So they may be really good at going out of their preference. But, as I said, it's going to be likely more draining to do so. And so having that understanding of where, where you actually gain energy um, is really helpful because who couldn't use more energy, right? Like that to me is really the key, one of the keys to being able to increase your impact but without sacrificing yourself in the process. So what I see in the workforce in general often is that people are um, kind of guided or pushed into roles or areas of responsibility um, that they might be very good at but that are not necessarily aligned with their natural preferences. And so it is, in fact, very draining. And so that's often where you see a lot of career burnout. Um, and that's often where people find themselves just kind of hitting a wall um, without necessarily being able to understand why. So it's a really great framework to, for, to be able to take a look at that and some of the reasons why that might be happening. Alicia also pointed out that going against preference or outside of your natural preference isn't necessarily a bad thing. So for example, I am naturally an introvert, but I do present as an extrovert in certain situations. It just uses up a lot of my energy. Exactly. And so understanding that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do those extroverted things, but knowing that it takes up more of your energy, you can then have strategies in place to make sure you have downtime scheduled after after that extroverted activity and that you have sort of boundaries in place so that you can recharge and energize. And then it doesn't mean that you can't be really good at it and you can even enjoy it. Like going out of preference doesn't necessarily mean it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the awareness of it can really help you leverage all of your all of your activities. So one of the things that I've always wondered about the MBTI exam or test is how consistent or first of all, how accurate the assessment is and then how consistent the results are over time. So for example, I have taken the exam many, many times in a way to sort of test the system to see whether it would always return as an INTJ. So I asked Alethea her thoughts around uh, the MBTI's consistency or accuracy. 
Okay, so this is a really great question, and it's actually one of the things that I love to talk about with Myers-Briggs, because actually um, only you can ultimately decide what type you are. So the assessments are there to kind of help you decide, but the assessment is really only telling you how you answer the questions. So really, you know, there's nature and there's nurture, and Myers-Briggs is about nature. But nurture has, this, but, but Myers-Briggs is not saying that nurture doesn't have an impact. In fact, it has a huge impact, but it gives you knowing what your nature is, it kind of gives you a framework for understanding the impact that your environment, your family of origin, social, professional, you know, cultural, uh, you know, all of those factors, you know, all impact us. And, you know, we are, we are getting messages every day about how we should be. And we're getting pressures every day on how, you know, what the best way to be is. And some of those things may be in, in line with our preferences and some of them uh, may not be. But uh, so Myers-Briggs can help us understand like where we've been sort of pressured or pushed or guided to go out of preference. Um, but answering those questions in the assessment, sometimes it's hard to pass out what is learned behavior and what is our natural preference. And so the, for Myers-Briggs um, to be sort of properly administered, it actually involves a self-assessment also where either online, they have, Myers-Briggs has an interactive online process, or with a certified practitioner like myself, before you get to see the results of your assessment, you actually talk through the four dichotomies and your practitioner will help you make your own assessment of what your preference is. So the self-assessment is what we call the first hypothesis. Then we look at the report. That's just the second hypothesis. And you can decide. And if they're the same, we go on to verify that type. Um, if they're different, we'll have a discussion about like why are they different and which do you think best represents your type. So um, I love that because it's not about someone else telling you who you are. It's really about you because because it's innate. Really, no one else can tell. So like you said, you may like people may be surprised that you're that you actually prefer introversion because you may appear very extroverted. So although we can guess what other people are, we really can't actually tell and Myers-Briggs says even our assessment isn't necessarily the ultimate indicator of you know it's an indicator it's not an ultimate sort of you know ruling on your type that was a little bit of a detour but to answer your question the theory of Myers-Briggs is that yes your type is consistent across your whole life because it is about your innate inborn preferences now how you use that type absolutely will vary over the course of your life so there may be times of your life when you are more introverted or when, you know, when your behavior is more, when you use more of your introverted behavior, there may be times of your life, you know, and this could be over the course of your life, or of course it can be day to day, right? It can be from hour to hour. Um, how you use your type will definitely vary. Um, and, and there is a typical kind of trajectory over the course of your life too, where uh, Myers-Briggs says sort of like the first part of the first half of your life is more about how, you figuring out like how to operate in the world and then the second half of your life is a little bit more internal and actually in the second half of your life you might you might start to gain more mastery in in all of the dichotomies and not just where you have preference so there is a natural trajectory over the course of your life with how you use your preferences but in theory your your type if you if if you're if that the assessment is administered correctly it will it should be consistent so a lot of time people say, oh, sometimes I test as this, sometimes I test as that. You know, there are a lot of um, 
free versions, sort of knockoff versions of the tests that are available online. Um, and and by knockoff, I'm not necessarily making a judgment. They're just not true MBTI. They might be based on it, or there are other, you know, there are many other different versions of personality tests based on Jungian philosophy and other types of um, theories also. But the the MBTI is, you know, research, it's, you know, research-based, science-based, track-based, database. It's been, you know, validated and tested and all of those kinds of things. So it is tested and designed to give consistent results if it's administered properly. So the fact that you've had done it six times and it's come out the same, like that is what's supposed to happen. And it probably is a reflection of the fact that you, that it was administered correctly with you. So, yeah. While understanding our own personal preferences and natural tendencies is a good thing, is a great thing, in fact, I think that an even more potentially powerful application of MBTI is using it to understand others, others' natural tendencies and preferences, and how those might manifest in work situations, and then potentially using that to improve team dynamics at work. And so I asked Alethea about you know, what she's seen so far in the use of MBTIs in team situations at work. So this was the part that was really exciting to me when I did the training because I wasn't previously aware of it, but it is actually designed to be in a really powerful team tool. So it's not, um, and especially... You know, I think sometimes when you do it online and, you know, it spits out your type and it tells you something about yourself, you know, that's great. But when you go through the entire process, um, what you gain is not just an understanding of yourself, but also an understanding of others. Like when you really, you know, in order to do the self-assessment, you have to understand the whole framework. And it's, you know, at least to gain a basic understanding of the whole framework. And then that whole framework becomes a, um, you know, I've been calling it the secret code to the universe because it really does feel like that to me, but it becomes a framework for understanding not just yourself, but others. And that's where I think, you know, it's really powerful because you can, um, you know, not just in a team, but it can help you understand your colleagues, your coworkers, consultants, vendors, your clients, your friends, your family members, even your kids. If you have kids, like I've been kind of just observing my kids was sort of fascinating, you know, and and again, like, you know, they're they're young, like Myers-Briggs isn't really meant to be for kids, you know, be for kids, like, but it's still a good framework to kind of just observe them. And it's really a powerful tool for understanding, you know, difference. Like if someone or some, you know, similarity too, but, you know, if someone is behaving in a very different way to you. Often like someone might be really pushing your buttons or you might really push their buttons or there might be a mutual pushing of buttons. You know, we often talk about that as, oh, like that's a personality clash, but it kind of can literally be a clash usually on a particular dichotomy where um, they're very different, almost like different, they can be very different worldviews. And you can, when you understand that framework, you can kind of see how um, it, that could really cause conflict. But when you understand, oh, that's just a different personality preference, it can actually kind of help reconcile across differences. Because an important part of the Myers-Briggs framework is that there's no, all the types are equal, like all the types, all of the preferences, they all have pros and cons. And none of them are better or worse. And so I think it's a really, um, I think there's a real power to that in being able to look at someone else 
within your team or within your life and say, oh, that's just because they prefer, you know, this over this. For example, um, thinking and feeling, um, the third dichotomy. So um, people who prefer thinking are very logical and analytical, and they're looking for an objective, you know, sort of standard of truth. And they want to be fair, but they believe that that means treating everyone equally. Whereas people who prefer feeling um, really want to make, uh, really want to be very, um, are very empathetic and want to make subjective decisions. And they also want to be, you know, so they basically make decisions based on um, people's values, social values, people's values. And so they think that being fair means treating everyone as an individual. So you can see that both of those can be true, but they can also, you can see that they can clash. They can really clash. And I think that when you can understand that and just say, oh, like both of those can be true at the same time, you can kind of find a way to basically incorporate both. As a team, understanding the individual team members' preferences um, and then what you can do with Myers-Briggs is, is a t- and you've probably seen this, like there's a team, you can work with a team type table. So you map everyone's type onto a table that enables you to say, oh, we've got a lot of T's and we don't really have very many F's or we've only got the one F and no wonder that person always feels like, you know, their viewpoint isn't being considered or, you know, we've got a lot of introverts and a lot of extroverts. So you know, maybe meetings aren't the best way for us to make decisions or, you know, maybe there's a different way of collaborating that that matches. So it just enables you to kind of get a, um, it's a different way of analyzing who you have on the team and what, it's not, it's not quite strengths and, I mean, it is strengths and weaknesses, but it's also like where conflicts might be arising or where there might be gaps. Like if you've got a whole bunch of Fs and no Ts, like maybe there are some, you know, more of those, more of the logic and analysis piece might might be missing. I love when you were talking about how, you know, we could use that understanding in teams or the people that we work with or even our family. So one of the things that you said is to identify gaps or potential conflicts, but it could also be a way to um, see complementary uh, skills. In fact, one of the most fun sort of uh, collegial experience I had was with, I had this uh, guy that I was working with very closely for a long time, and he was a P and I was a J. He was as very much a P as I was very much a J. And that's the fourth um, dichotomy, right? So yeah, so for people, who, just to explain for people who don't know, the um, it's really kind of about how you plan your work. So J's are very orderly and methodical and they plan their work ahead of time and they like to, you know, they like closure and checking things off and P's are much more sort of spontaneous and open and flexible, but they tend to be less methodical. And um, Myers-Briggs calls it pressure prompted, which is sort of the nice way, the non-judgmental version of, you know, I think they're often labeled as procrastinators, right? But um, knowing that that's a real personality type and that there are benefits to that, um, but yes, P's and J's often drive each other crazy because the J is like, why, why are you done? And 
Well, when we understood what was going on, we ended up using it to, to leverage it, basically. So for example, uh, in times when we have to brainstorm or look at different options, he was the, you know, he was there. He was the king of that ex exercise. Meanwhile, I'm dying to make a decision already and choose, right? And so, we, and then, and then there comes a point where, okay, we have to make a decision and we have to commit. And that's where I kind of step into the more the, and so we worked together for a long time and it worked very well because um, we understood each other. And instead of it being a, a point of contention, it's like, why can't you make up your mind? Or him saying, why are you so ready to make a decision? And you're not, you know, exploring other options first is that we use that to like, okay, I know what's going on here. So let's do that. Or let's do this. Or I love that interaction with him. Yeah. I think that's a great example of where the awareness, you can then leverage it instead of having you, instead of each of you trying to make the other one be more like you. So I think a lot of our interactions, right, in our life, uh, you know, we, we believe that our way is the way, right? Um, and we want everyone else to do things our way. And, you know, different people to different extent. But I think that's often what we what we see in teams is, is people trying to get other people to do things the same way that they would do it. And it happens in all areas of our life. I think it's a big thing in parenting as well, that we, just because it worked for us, doesn't mean it will work for our kids, especially if they have a different personality type. So it's the same thing in, in team relationships, even the, the same thing, you know, with clients as well. Um, it's really true just with every, anyone and everyone that will encounter the things that work for us are not necessarily going to work for other people. And having a tool for understanding that and identifying where there are similarities and where there are differences means that we can build much more productive uh, relationships. Yeah. Now, interestingly, although all MBTI types are equal, uh, they all have pros and cons. None of them are better or worse than the other. Corporate America has a preference what Myers-Briggs system I think will probably resonate with a lot of people is, you know, corporate America, and it depends on the company, but generally favors sort of an ESTJ. So it does favor extroverts, um, but it does favor, so the sensing and the intuition, you know, the, the people who prefer sensing really more about sort of practical realities and details and they take in, it's about how you take in information. So it's about taking information with your five senses. It's about, you know, and it's about trusting experience. Whereas the N is about future possibilities and I, big ideas, you know, S's, people prefer sensing a very a more linear. So it's sort of like they want to go from A to B to C to D to get to E. People who prefer intuition are more sort of like the big picture and go back and fill in the details. So that's one that often clashes a lot too, because people who prefer sensing are gonna be like really kind of glaze over if you're you spend too much time talking about your big ideas, especially if you're talking sort of you know metaphorically. They're like, just tell me, like just tell me what you need me to do. Whereas people who prefer intuition will glaze over if someone who prefers sensing goes through go gets into all the detail without first giving the context of the big picture. So I think there's often those those two things often. Uh, butt up against each other also. Um, I think especially if you've got someone who prefers N who's delegating to someone who prefers S, the person who prefers N may feel like they've told their person exactly what they need. And the person who prefers S is like, I have no idea what you just told me. <laughs> like, like they want they want the specific. 
It's funny when you said the delegating, and then the also the other, the reverse, right? So, for example, if I if I was an S and you're an N, and I'm reporting to you, and I'm giving you an update on the project, and I'm going on and on about the details of everything, and you're like sitting there going, "Can you just give me the bottom line? Where are we? I don't need to know the this happened last week and this happened on Monday and all that kinds of good stuff, right?" Absolutely, yes, and you do see. So, so I think there is a little bit of a, and, and again, it really varies from company to company, but generally there is a bit more of a favor, a preference for us in corporate America. Although, as you move up in leadership and if you move up in your career, I think that the N, obviously, as a leader, the vision, the big picture, the future, you know, that becomes more and more important. So that's also often a difficult switch because in the in the early in your career, whether you prefer it or not, the S part is the part you sort of you have to be good at and then and then you're sort of expected to then kind of transition into more of an end mode yeah um but obviously the t the logical you know analysis that that part is often more 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 emphasized in in uh in business culture and then you know i think the j for those of us that prefer p we've sort of le- often have learned a lot of j strategies just to function, you know, just to function and be successful. So, um, so it's really interesting to to kind of just know that and be aware of that, and to see where culture, to see where culture push sort of pushes us or wants us to go a particular way, and to look at how you can do that in a way that still kind of honors what your natural preferences are. Yeah. So, um, turning the tables a little bit, can you tell us uh, a bit more um, about what you do today with respect to MBTI? So, I have been doing these MBTI, um, I've been calling them sort of vision or strategy sessions. So, basically, if you do a Myers-Briggs session with me, you do the assessment online ahead of time, but you don't get uh, you don't get your results. Then in the session, as I said, we'll talk about your challenges, your goals, your vision, your zone of genius before we launch into the MBTI process, then we do the MBTI process with the self-assessment. We look at the report. Um, but I like to do all that stuff in the beginning so that as we go through the Myers-Briggs and then kind of keying it back to what you as a client have told me in the beginning are your challenges and your goals. So it's it's funny because when, when my clients are t- going through their challenges and their goals, I sort of have to hold myself back from jumping into talking about how Myers-Briggs relates to that because they haven't knowledge yet whereas I had that framework so already as they're talking I'm like ooh, that's the F or that's the you know the T like I can already see a little bit um you know I you can never know for sure externally you know how someone's presenting whether that actually reflects a preference or not but we can sort of guess so I'm always sort of like ooh, like maybe that like I'd be interested to see and sometimes I'm wrong sometimes I'm like oh this is actually driven more from this side of the preference than that side so I'm always very open to like not um, the training very much emphasizes not making assumptions or coming to conclusions yourself about your client's type um, but as we go through the um, report I'll then be able to then say okay so I think you know I have you know when you said this that seemed to very much come like I, you know I can I can start to basically tie I together connect the dots so that when they walk away from the session, it's not just sort of the understanding about themselves. It's also the understanding about others, but it's also not just introspection. It's also action. So I want to make sure it's applicable. They can apply. And that, because I think sometimes it's like, 
all this information about myself, like what do I do with it? So I want to make sure, I always make sure that my clients have an idea also about um, how to take the understanding that they've gained through Myers-Briggs um, and use it to help them with the challenges and the goals that we talked about in the beginning. Do you do the work for individuals and also for teams? Yes, I do it for individuals and then I also do it for teams where we will, it's a similar process in the beginning where everyone does their um, assessment online ahead of our team session. And then in the team session, I'll go through that self-assessment process, but in a group. So um, we still go through each of the dichotomies and people still self-identify on which one. But the great thing about doing it in a team is that um, it kind of comes to life even more vividly when you hear other people talking about how they use introversion or extroversion or, you know, feeling or other different types. So you kind of, um, I mean, I, and I love this part of it where the team actually learns from each other um, about type because it's like you've got now more sort of living examples of, of di- how type, you know, of type in action basically through your team. And there's often like aha moments of like, oh, that's why this person is always focused on this aspect or this is what, you know, this is, you know, so you have those aha moments as you go through um, that process. So where can people find you online? Where can people learn more about the work that you do? Yes. So my, uh, my website is at aletheafitzpatrick.com. So that's A-L-E-T-H-E-A Fitzpatrick. Uh, dot com and um, I have information there and I really love working with um, companies and organizations and teams um, to basically help teams better you know inc- better align with the natural preferences so that they can increase their impact um, without making those sacrifices that often um, that we often see that people um, end up making in order to be successful Brilliant. Well, I love this conversation. I'm a big fan of the MBTI um, usage. So thank you so much for coming on to the show again and sharing your expertise. Thank you, Lou. I always love to chat with you. I'm happy to come on anytime. And it's always fun to geek out about MBTI with with someone who's also enthusiastic about it. So thank you so much. That is it for today's episode of the Second Breaks podcast. And I hope you found it useful. You can find the show notes plus links to other relevant resources at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 48. You can download past episodes of this podcast and subscribe. Subscribe so you don't ever have to miss future episodes. And you can do that on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. I will be back next week with a new guest to inspire you and get your ideas flowing and to motivate you to start planning or at least to start thinking about your own career move. Till then, keep on making your debt, my friend. Cool beans! This is the Second Breaks Podcast. 